As we begin, I want to direct your attention to the blue insert in the bulletin. It is the uh, winter-spring sermon schedule for the next couple of months, and you can use that to pray for me as I prepare to preach. It will also give you an idea of the text that we, of course, it's, it's subject to change, but it's, it's a good and godly church that makes a point to read the preaching portion for that Sunday in advance. Whether you study it all week, as some do, whether you look at it in the morning before you come to church on Sunday or, or anything in between, please use this uh, to help better prepare you to benefit from the preaching of the Word. Please turn in your Bibles as we begin to f- the book of 1 John chapter 1. And as you turn to that place in your Bible, the phrase la bella vita in Italian is a way of describing the good life. But how do you describe it? For you, does it mean health, wealth, maybe status or success, pleasure, love? People have been wrestling with this question, what is the good life for thousands of years? It's a particular interest of mine. I've preached on this topic many times over my years as a pastor of this church. And part of the problem in defining the good life is in terms of definitions. We don't really know what we mean by good. We're conflicted, in other words. And we can't really decide what life we're talking about. Is it this life or the next life? I think the fact that we're still searching for the answer suggests that either it's an impossible question, it can't be answered, or possibly we're looking in the wrong place. It shouldn't come as too great a surprise, but perhaps it is surprising to you that the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about the good life. Its answer to the question, what is happiness, or what is the good life, tends to orient around two concepts, the concept of God and the concept of being blessed. And this morning, we're beginning a series of sermons in a little book in the New Testament called 1 John. We're going to learn more about John in a moment, but I want you to know my hope for you this morning is that you will learn in this message more about what Scripture says about the good life. The phrase in our text, and it's the title of my sermon, is the word of life. And I'm hoping you can connect in your mind very clearly the the link between the word of life which shows up in my passage, and the good life. What does the word of life have to do with the good life? We're going to see that it's connected in three ways. The word of life gives you a means or a way to recover the life of God. The word of life contains the message about Jesus. And three, it provides a map for you for living according to God's plans. A means, a message, and a map. I wonder how you're doing this morning with your life. It's the new year. It's a time of reflection. 
It's also a time of recovery. We need a vacation to recover from our vacation. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're looking for answers. Maybe you're praying for a resolution to a long-standing challenge or an issue. Maybe you feel frustrated. Maybe you feel disoriented or confused about your circumstances. If you've come to hear a set of clever tips and tricks, uh, uh, some life hacks on how to address some of these things, you've come to the wrong place. There are people smarter and better looking to give you answers to those things. What I propose to do is, by God's grace, to allow you to hear from God himself about what he intended from the beginning, about what went wrong, and what you can do about it. So let's look at 1 John chapter 1, and, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the eternal word of God. And after I read the text, I'm going to pray that he will illuminate our hearts and minds and inspire my words that they would be Jesus' words to his church. The scripture. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Let us pray. Father, we ask now that your word has been read, that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations on each one of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My first point is that the word of life gives man a means to recover the life of God, the life that God intended for us. And I want to begin by telling you a little bit about the author of this letter, 1 John. Who is this John? John is one of the 12 disciples. He is the brother to James and the son of a man named Zebedee. And more importantly, John is writing in this letter a pastoral, personal, and passionate application of the gospel that also bears his name, the fourth letter of the New Testament, the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. This means that as John is writing, he doesn't even bother to introduce himself. John is writing probably to his church that he pastors or to a group of churches that he pastors in Asia Minor, which is ancient Turkey. John is writing assuming that you've heard and understand the gospel as background. So he doesn't take time to say, oh, by the way, see John chapter 1, see John chapter 14, see John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. No, he references and alludes to it and, and, and draws out its meaning by applying the gospel of John to our lives. What this means for us, incidentally, by the way, for the next several months as we're going through the letter of 1 John, it would be an excellent study for you to read John's gospel alongside, even to read them both and, and to get, if, if you're into this, and I am sometimes, colored pencils or pens and, and make notes of, of similar themes in 1 John and words even that show up in the gospel of John. With that in mind, 
What does the Gospel of John say about the word of life? Let's take a look. Turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 1. As it turns out, John has quite a bit to say in the gospel about the word of life. Look at the opening lines of John's gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here we have a reference to the beginning, the RK, the root of the world, the very seed of all that is, the entire created universe, the beginning. This is a, a, an echo in John 1.1 of Genesis 1.1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that amazing? So, so John is reaching all the way back and grabbing hold of the first thread of the scriptures as he begins to tell and to weave the story about Jesus. And what he says is the word, logos is the technical term, the word was in the beginning. So back in Genesis 1-1, we say In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John zooms in on that phrase and he says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. Now, Moses doesn't tell us that in Genesis 1.1, but John, the apostle, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, When we talk about God, zoom in on God, unpack that word, G-O-D, what do we see? We see that the Word was with God and the word was God. The word is not the same as God, otherwise he wouldn't be with God. But the word isn't less than God, otherwise he wouldn't be at the beginning, he would be a created thing. And so, in the beginning, the Father, God, and the word, who is the eternal Son, together with the Spirit, are bringing life into the world. That's what John 1.1 is saying. And that's what Genesis 1.1 is saying. God speaks and life comes into being. Day one, let there be light. Day two, let there be an expanse above and below. Day three, earth, seas, and plants come into being. Day four, the lights in the heaven, the, the, the expanses are now filled with the, light, the great lights and the lesser lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, the animals and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And day six, man is created, male and female. And in creating man, speaking of life, he breathes life. He gathers the dust of the earth and fashions clay man. And in clay man, there's a nose 
and in some manner that isn't explained, God breathes into clay man the breath of life, and what was inanimate becomes a living being by the breath of God. And not only that, he places man now in the garden where there is a tree of life, speaking of life. And finally, God promises man eternal life if he keeps the commandments of God, which are concentrated into a simple requirement. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree is often misunderstood. What is this tree? Well, the devil promised that it would make the holy couple wise if they ate of it, directly contradicting God. But really, it was a temptation to find life outside the word. The tree became for Adam and Eve a temptation, I will repeat, to find life outside the word. As someone has said, it was a temptation to take over God's management of the world. It was a temptation to assume God's role as judging between good and evil. I'm going to decide what is good. I'm going to decide what is evil. But from this sad decision flows the entire broken history of the human race, including your life and mine, until the word of life comes. My first point then is that the word of life is the means to recover the life of God. You see, the word was, was the promise that we would get and receive permanently the life of God if we kept that word, that commandment. But having failed to keep that commandment, the word of life is the means by which we may return to and receive that original promised life. The word of life is shown to be, to be the means to recover the life of God which was lost in mankind's fall, plummet into sin. The second point is not just the means to recover the life of God, but the word of life contains the message of Jesus. Not only does the word of life give you the means to recover the good life, la bella vita, it contains the message about Jesus. And we've already seen this because John 1.1 shows us that, that Jesus is the word who was with God in the beginning. But let's zoom in a little farther. We're still in John chapter 1, verse 14. What does John say? And the word, this Logos, the Eter God the eternal Son, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. It's going to be important in a moment. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John writes that the divine Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, enters into time and space, clothed with human flesh, and becomes the God-man. This is the Christmas story. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus is the message of the word of life. Let's look back at our passage now and take a little bit more careful examination 
of what our text says about the word of life. We've, we've got John's gospel now kind of in our minds where it's sort of setting the, the, the framework. Back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, John writes, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So this isn't just any word. It is that which was from the beginning. But which beginning is in view? Is it the beginning of Genesis 1-1? Well, we know from John 1-1 that Jesus was there at the beginning, but this beginning seems to be different, although it's the same, but it's slightly different because it was that which was from the beginning which we have heard. Now, John wasn't in the beginning of the world, so John, who's writing this, can't say, we heard God say, let there be light, and so forth. So we know John isn't referring to that. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched, we've examined, we've, we've, we've lived with this word of life. I think it's the beginning more of Jesus' earthly ministry that John is referring to, but there's an intentional kind of double meaning. It's the beginning of the world. It's, it's let there be light, but it's the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry where he starts preaching and, and he says, John, James, lay down your nets. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they're looking at each other and say, why are we agreeing to this? What's going on right now? So John is locating the word of life in his own life, in his own time frame. And then look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This word manifest is important. To make manifest means to, to make something to appear. The manifestation of the Son of God in the Bible begins when the Holy Spirit overshadows the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it is conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God incarnate. That's the manifestation of the Son of God. That's the appearing of the Son of God. Uh, late in time and flesh appearing is how the carol goes. So the life was made manifest, but then John says, and we have seen it and testify to it. John didn't know the Blessed Virgin Mary when she was conceiving Jesus. John wouldn't meet Jesus for another 25, 30 years, however long it was. So the life was also made manifest when, for example, Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan and descending upon him is the dove, which is uh, an embodiment, a visual embodiment of the invisible Holy Spirit and a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He was made manifest when, 
when he healed the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she says, maybe if I just touch the rabbi's fringes of the rabbi's robe. And in the crowd, Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples were like, Rabbi, what are you talking about? The crowd is very great. Of course people are touching you. He says, no, someone touched me. See, the life was made manifest in this woman who had suffered at the hands of physicians for many years. And that life was made manifest. It was made manifest, wasn't it, when when he said to Martha and to Mary, it was good that I wasn't here when your brother died because now the life will be made manifest. Of course, it was made manifest on the cross in the great irony of human history when the word of life submits to death, but only for three days. Because John saw the empty tomb. He handled the risen Lord and he said, he who was dead is now alive. The life was made manifest. It was displayed. We saw it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. You see, it isn't just any life. This Word of life is the message of Jesus because it's the message of Jesus' life. And Jesus' life begins in a human sense with, with the human clock. It begins when he's born in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It begins in a way when he begins his earthly ministry. Yes, it, it has that human component. But our text tells us that Jesus, the God-man, was preceded by, if I may put it this way, God the eternal Son, who was a person from eternity with the Father. In the beginning was the Word. And what our text is telling us is, we, John, I, Phil as a preacher, preaching John's message, proclaim to you that life, eternal life, which Jesus, prior to his incarnation, had with the Father from all eternity the life of God. I can't stress this enough. This phrase, which was with the Father, is key to your understanding that what is being offered here isn't merely salvation, if I may put it that way. It's the good life. Capital G, capital L. End of discussion. The argument is settled. The life of God, the life which was on offer in Eden, the life which Jesus himself, God the eternal Son, has always enjoyed, which in a manner of speaking, he he relinquished some of the privileges through his time in the flesh, Philippians 2, setting aside the perquisites of deity. He was clothed in human flesh, being found in the form of a man. He humbled himself, even death on the cross. But the life of God was with him, even through his earthly ministry. And then in the resurrection and ascension, he is now seated at the right hand of God. He's restored as he prayed in his high priestly prayer, Father, restore to me the glory which I had with you from before the time the world was. 
He was longing to be refilled and refreshed, having accomplished his earthly work with the life of God. This is the gospel that is preached. It is the gospel that we proclaim also to you. And so thirdly, the word of life isn't just a means to recover the life of God, and it isn't just the message about Jesus, but it provides a map for living according to God's plan. Now, in the old days, speaking of maps, you actually had to have something that was a piece of paper, you know, with lines all over it. The young people are going to have struggle with me here, but you would fold it up, and God forbid the place you needed to go was on the crease where it was torn. And we were a map household. We had multiple copies of, of town, county, and state maps in all our automobiles. We, we even bought the map with a spiral binder on it where you could kind of fine-tune and zero in on it. That's back when humans were smart, but now that we have smartphones, we can be dumb. And Siri or whoever, whatever his or her name is, tells us where to go while we follow social media and stay dumb. Anyway, I digress. My point, though, is that when my map is, and I, I do use the map on my phone, when my map is on, it's continually telling me where to go. Sometimes I think it's wrong, and actually sometimes it is, but often, even when I think it's wrong, there's a reason for it. In this way, I think it's a great picture of the gospel because it provides us a map for living according to God's plan. It needs to be continually running. You, you need the gospel in that sense to continually tell you where I am supposed to go. In 500 feet, make a right turn. Continue for two miles. Turn left. Your destination is on the right. Regular, continual updates as to how I'm doing in following God's plan for my life. And so we have things like pray continually, walk in the Spirit as biblical instructions on how to do this. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. And I want you to think about 1 John in a sense, the letter as a whole, there are five chapters, as, as that map on finding, learning about, holding on to especially, and then even sharing the life of God with others. But especially for your own, if I may put it this way, for your own sorry souls. First John, in its complexity, it's, it's like a maze. It's, it's, like a, it's like a tangled, glorious golden thread. And it takes careful reading to, to follow this thread, but taken as a whole. For instance, the manifestation in verse 2 of my text, this life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. Why did Jesus appear? Just to take a quick survey of, of John's uh, epistle. 1 John 3, 5, he appeared to take away sin. He was manifested, John tells us, in order to take away sin. He is the propitiation 
for our sins, 1 John 4.10. He is the Savior of the world, 1 John 4.14. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin, 1 John 1.9. He laid down his life for us, 1 John 3.16. This is why he was manifested. The forgiveness of sins, you see, is not the whole story. Salvation is the means by which, it's, it's the pathway, it's, it's the map to restore you to the life of God. And so we need to know why Jesus came. It's to remove sins. And once sin is removed, we can begin to experience life as God wants us to experience it. But it's necessary also that he's manifested, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the work of the devil. You see, that devilish work in the garden in which the life of God was robbed from Adam and Eve, Jesus came, the word of life, which is who he is, what he did in his birth, in his life, in his death and resurrection. The word of life has come to destroy the work of the devil. It's to undo what the devil has done. It's to rewind the effects of sin and the curse back to the beginning of the tape, and then it's to play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in its place. The chaotic, frustrated, awful, horrible, dissonant music that's your life, he came to destroy that work, to destroy what is worst about you and to give you what is best about him, the life of God. And finally, he came, 1 John 4, 9, he was manifested, he appears, that we might live through him. Eternal life isn't just for the future, pie in the sky by and by, but it is for here, it is for now, it is for day, today. It's in the midst of your sin that you need the word of life. How to live for Christ is your seventh period biology class. Or when your boyfriend dumps you. Or when your partner on the job site shows you some porn on his cell phone. Hey guy, check, out, check this out. Or when you hear some gossip at the water cooler in the office about your supervisor. You see, these aren't easy things to figure out. And your GPS is telling you, turn right here, leave the highway. The word of life is taking you off the beaten path, for instance. The preaching of the gospel is for the purpose that you and I might live for Christ, even in the midst of a dark and fallen world. In closing, then. The fact that while the world struggles to decide what exactly the good life is, and while you also might struggle, as I do on a daily basis, what is my life supposed to be all about? The Bible has never changed. It has never wavered in this regard. It is underutilized, underappreciated. It has held the same message for thousands of years, and the message is this. The good life is the life that God manifested and offered to Adam and Eve. They failed to attain it, and he sent his son the word of life and the message of his life that you might be forgiven of your sins and restored to life indeed. So in applying this morning's message, I want to challenge you to, to answer this question. How am I defining life? If you, like me, struggle to pursue life elsewhere, apart from the word, you're playing with fire. 
you are living dangerously. And it's far more dangerous than you realize. Because coming back from those sojourns in Egypt, if I may put it that way, is never as easy as you think. So I want to encourage and challenge you to repent and embrace the word of life. Scripture's definition of the good life is unique in a couple of ways. One of them is that it's both empirical and spiritual. What I mean by this is happiness in a biblical sense is not averse to science. So as you think about the claims of Christ and following Christ with your life, you don't need to set aside logic and reason and and secondary causes and means and technology, even though I've made fun of your cell phones, you, you know what I'm saying. You see, ultimately, the good life isn't dependent on science either, and that's, that's, what, we, that's what we have that the world doesn't have. We, we can learn from, the, from, the, from progress in science, but we're not ultimately dependent on human knowledge and discovery. We're dependent on God's revealed word. And the other, I guess, appeal that I'm making for the Bible's definition of the good life is that it is unlike any other thing that you'll find on psychology today or, or whatever your podcast listening to, your self-help podcast or, you know, the, the wise book that you're reading, is that the Bible's definition of the good life is both brutally honest about how hard happiness is to find and to keep but also shockingly hopeful. It's brutally honest, but shockingly hopeful. I love the saying made popular by Pastor Jack Miller, a deceased PCA pastor. It goes like this. Cheer up, church. You're far worse than you thought. And God is far greater than you ever possibly imagined, God's grace. See, that's the way that the good life comes to us in Scripture. It's brutally honest, but it's shockingly hopeful. So I want to end simply then by saying, referring to someone who struggled with believing, doubting Thomas. You remember the story? Ten of the disciples had seen the risen Lord, but Thomas was, I don't know, doing something else. He heard about it, and he says, I'm not going to believe until what? I can put my fingers in the nail scars of his hands and stick it in his side. And so Jesus, because he loved Thomas, appeared a second time in that upper room. And Thomas was there this time. And Jesus speaks to him and he says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. That's where we get the name Doubting Thomas from. And Thomas falls on his face at the feet of Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Capital L, capital G. That's a stoning-worthy offense for an Orthodox Jew unless you had seen and heard and looked upon and touched with your hands 
the word of life. And that life is the life we testify to you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. We thank you that this is indeed a message, a word that brings life. We thank you that we have experienced this, many of us, and some have yet to believe, but they're close, Lord. They're wavering, perhaps, between two opinions, and I'm praying that you would resolve their doubt, their unbelief. This person, be he a child or an adult, woman or man, And Lord, for those of us who do believe, my prayer is that you would confirm and strengthen us in our faith because it is hard to keep our eye on the ball and to walk according to the map of true life and not the substitutes that are hawked and, and sold before us every day. And as a church, as we head into this new year, my prayer is that more and more characterized by this word of life Uh, individually as families and as a church we ask it in jesus name amen thank you for listening to the mercy hill sermon podcast if you'd like to learn more about us please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.